This week, we talk about our outlook for the fourth quarter, what's holding investors back and what to do about it. Here's what matters. Live from New York City, I'm Lauren Goodwin, and this is Market Matters from New York Life Investments. In this podcast, we bring you the best insights from across the New York Life Investments platform because we believe that by sharing perspectives and engaging with you, our listeners, we can all become better investors. Welcome, everyone. It's the week of September 18th, 2023, and it's an exciting one because we have the whole team here, myself, Julia Herman, and Michael Legalbo, to share our economic and market outlook for the fourth quarter. Our regular listeners will know we just spent a three-week special series sharing how a variety of insurance and financial approaches, including life insurance, annuities, and goals setting and investing, can come together in service of holistic financial goals. And the theme of our outlook today builds on how investors can feel well-equipped and empowered to stay focused on their goals, even amid macro and market uncertainty. And there has been a lot of uncertainty this year, and it seems to only be growing. Expectations have entered a wider range regarding the timing and severity of recession, along with the path of interest rates and inflation. And we've seen volatility to both the upside and the downside as a market response. A recurring theme in our conversation here on the podcast this year has been about how to keep participating in the market while keeping risk close at hand. And Anyone who was worried this time last year, which was just about everyone, including us, would have enjoyed a very interesting year, but one that had positive returns for major equity market indices, at least so far. But every time period's different, and what staying invested looks like depends on each investor and their goals. And so to help us all navigate that balance, we've drilled down into key points of uncertainty we see holding investors back right now and that we've heard from you in our questions to us, all the things making it harder to allocate confidently for the longer term. And these are four questions. Number one, is this time different for the credit cycle? Question two, is inflation really gone for good? Question three, did I miss the boat on generative artificial intelligence or AI? And question four, is commercial real estate the next big risk to look out for? Today, we'll share our take on the first two of these questions about credit and inflation, as well as investment strategies that can be considered instead of being stuck in the uncertainty around those questions. We'll cover the latter two, AI and commercial real estate, next week. So let's start with the question of whether this time can be different for credit. What do we mean by that, Julia? You know, a less delicate way of phrasing that question is probably something like, hey, where's that recession we've been told to expect for the past year? So we're unpacking this a bit. And our team has been quite consistent with our calls for a recession. But when it comes to corporate health and overall credit risk, especially in terms of what we're seeing in the high yield corporate bond benchmark, there is some nuance about what a recession really means for those credit outcomes. That's because this time so far, it is different. High yield credit default rates and spreads look stronger than the fundamentals suggest that they should be right now. What are those fundamentals that we're looking at? Our team looks at a wide range of economic indicators in a quantitative model meant to forecast default rates. The two biggest contributors to this model right now are tightening credit conditions and leading economic indicators. 
They tell us that things should look worse, defaults should be higher, and spreads should be wider. Of course, the natural follow-up question is, why? And one explanation already jumps out to me, which is that astonishing consumer resilience that we've seen over the past two years is playing a role here. And while, of course, consumer health is important to corporate health from the demand perspective, it's also something that transmits in the investable space because over a quarter of the benchmark high-yield indices are comprised of the consumer discretionary sector. Exactly. And the consumer credit story has gotten a lot of attention because credit card debt hit $1 trillion in the second quarter of this year. And it's true that credit card and auto delinquencies are rising, namely among younger and lower income folks. But when you compare delinquencies across the consumer space right now to those in crisis periods, notably the global financial crisis, we are hardly looking at a stressed consumer credit picture. So are there any key drivers of this that we should keep in mind? Yes, I would say first off, about 90% of U.S. mortgages are fixed rate. So defaults are really low there, even with the rising interest rate environment. And as we've been discussing a lot this year, the strong labor market and savings backdrop are also really big supports. I do want to make a note here, though, that student loan repayments beginning again, it's a bit of an X factor in terms of disrupting this consumer health picture. There's a 12-month repayment grace period, so we don't expect an immediate consumer hit as a result of those payments restarting. Staying in the lane of fundamental support for the credit picture, there's been some concern about a maturity wall hitting high yield. And a maturity wall refers to a large portion of outstanding debt coming due all at once, which can force corporations to repay loans and then also potentially to issue those loans at a higher interest rate than they were paying before. I think we should validate those concerns. The weighted average maturity for the high yield benchmark is currently about five years. It's the lowest in well over 30 years, and it compares to nearly nine years until maturity and rising for investment grade bonds. And as we all know, refinancing is expensive. For high yield, on average, companies would need to issue at a coupon two percentage points higher than they have currently been paying. So yes, there is some reason for concern, especially as we head into a recession scenario, as our team believes that we will. However, this maturity wall does not overlap with our recession expectations in that less than 2% of outstanding high yield debt in the benchmark matures in 2024. Yes, this share rises meaningfully from 2025 to 2030, but 10 to 20% of the stock of debt comes due each year, which should hopefully be pretty digestible. Even though we aren't as convinced as market consensus is that the Fed would be cutting rates soon, we do expect some level of policy easing over that five-year time frame that Julia pointed out, potentially allowing companies to roll over or issue debt at a lower cost than would be the case if they were doing it all today. And so with that, I want to introduce a mini portfolio pause for our investment idea. In addition to the fundamental supports we just shared, that suggests that high-yield credit may be more resilient in this cycle, we also should consider the risk-return profile from the investment perspective in this asset class. We believe that risks that remain in the asset class are well compensated and accounted for in recent performance. The high-yield asset class is printing a compelling yield of over 8.5% for the major Bloomberg benchmark and has experienced a drawdown consistent with recession periods of the early 1990s and the dot-com bust, so those milder or more moderate recession experiences. 
Investors could benefit then from taking some of their equity-like risk in high yield, where despite that short-term pricing risk, the coupon does exceed both the earnings and dividend yields we'd expect from equity moving forward. I think then we can fairly wrap that first question. Thank you, Julia. And moving on to the second area of uncertainty that we see tripping up investors, we'll talk a little bit about inflation. Macro Mike, Michael Galbo, is it gone for good? You know, I'm not here to be an inflation scaremonger, but I do think it is a little too early to write off the possibility of another wave of inflation this year and into next. Take the uptick in August inflation data we received last week, for example. When you mention another wave, are you talking about a double peak? Because the double peak in inflation of the 70s and 80s has a pretty alarming vibe of what where things could go. Well, I think that depends. You and Julia discussed this summer on the podcast, our scenarios for inflation for the remainder of the year. And it goes to show that just based on the math, it's likely we'll see inflation figures rise in the next few months, due in part to the base effects or the already strong inflation from a year ago. This sort of second wave is likely very digestible for the market. What's less digestible would be some sort of shock that sends inflation upwards. Energy prices may be providing a bit of that shock as we speak, with crude oil back above $90 per barrel for the first time since fall of 2022, so a year ago. Energy has been in a big downward drag on inflation, and if that reverses, it could be then an upside risk. Yes, I definitely agree that energy can be a shock. Along with the Fed getting dovish too quickly, an unexpected amount of fiscal support, and of course, geopolitics. I'd like then to insert another mini portfolio pause here. Mike, you say that inflation may experience a modest rise in the next few months, and even if it's not the feared double peak, we're likely looking at an inflation picture that continues to be more resilient or stickier than market expectations. As an investor, what would be your top priorities in managing a potential upside or just firming of inflation? Managing real inflation-adjusted returns and managing duration, the risk that comes from higher interest rates needed to contain inflation. When it comes to preserving real returns, we know that even though holding cash can look attractive in periods of volatility, it historically has not protected purchasing power against inflation. On the duration side, we're most compelled by opportunities in upward sloping yield curves, including those in municipal bonds. All right. I want to thank both Julia and Michael for joining to speak about credit and inflation. Behind each of these key investor questions, there are some tangible takeaways and opportunities for investors. And the challenge for us is always to see through the fear and concern and uncertainty all the way to what it could tangibly look like for investors. So thank you both for doing that for us. Coming up next, we continue our discussion of four key questions for the fourth quarter, how to participate in the AI boom with an eye on concentration risk, and whether the market has its arms around all the different risks in real estate. But that's it for today. We'll be back next week for more Market Matters. In the meantime, please remember to give us a like, follow, or review wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you have a question or topic of interest, reach out to us on LinkedIn. You can also follow our reviews at NewYorkLifeInvestments.com and click the Insights tab. Until then, I'm Lauren Goodwin. We'll see you next time. Our podcast is produced by Will Tyus and our music was composed by the fabulous Zach Young. I will now read our disclosures from compliance. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, which will vary. All investments are subject to market risk and will fluctuate in value. This material represents an assessment of the market environment as at a specific date, is subject to change, and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding the funds or any issuer or security in particular. The strategies discussed are strictly for illustrative and educational purposes and are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. There is no guarantee that any strategies discussed will be effective. 
This material contains general information only and does not take into account an individual's financial circumstances. This information should not be relied upon as a primary basis for an investment decision. Rather, an assessment should be made as to whether the information is appropriate in individual circumstances and consideration should be given to talking to a financial advisor before making an investment decision. New York Life Investments is both the service mark and the common trade name of certain investment advisors affiliated with the New York Life Insurance Company. Securities are distributed by Nylife Distributors, LLC, 30 Hudson Street, Jersey City, New Jersey, 07302, a wholly owned subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company. Nylife Distributors, LLC is a member of FINRA SIPC.